This is episode number 51, how Noah Kagan defines success after building an eight-figure business at sumo.com. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, and I'm your host, Sonia Looney. I feel like when you retire, you just start dying. Like, that shit seems really crappy. Because I think you should just live now. Not that you should be totally indulgent and hedonistic, but go on two-week trips or three-week trips. Find work that's meaningful and continue that until the day you die instead of needing to retire and stop all that stuff. Noah Kagan definitely knows about what it's like to live a high-performance life. He has done so much in his life as an entrepreneur. But what would it be like to lose $100 million? Seriously, imagine having $100 million and then losing it. Noah knows about that too. How would you pick up the pieces and move on? Noah Kagan, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka the Taco Meister, knows all about the ups and downs of startups, building solid businesses, the art of comedy, seriously, the dude is hilarious, and even a little bit about mountain biking. That is initially how we connected over mountain biking. Noah is the chief sumo of sumo.com, a domain he paid $1.5 million for. He doesn't look like a sumo, though. And he's one of the most entertaining and motivating people I've ever spoken to and is incredibly down to earth. I have a lot of respect and admiration for Noah, but after listening to many hours of him on both his podcast called Noah Kagan Presents, I've seriously binge listened to almost the entire podcast, as well as listening to him as a guest on other shows, I was even more inspired by his attitude, his down to earth vibe, and his commitment to always wanting to be better and challenging himself. The guy always has a fun new challenge that he is taking on and that's inspired me. We had so much to talk about that I barely scratched the surface with questions I wanted to ask him. It just felt like talking to an old friend. He was awesome. From working in a cubicle at Intel to being one of the first employees at Facebook and Mint. Seriously, guys, imagine being one of the first Facebook employees. That would be nuts. To building an incredible eight-figure business at AppSumo and Sumo.com, Rabbi Can't Lose has accomplished a lot. We also talk about why his nickname is Rabbi Can't Lose. Not only that, he is a very introspective and curious person who is a very good conversationalist. On top of AppSumo, KingSumo, and Sumo.com, Noah has his own podcast, as I mentioned, and also has a very fun and super informative YouTube channel about business and behaviors that I found fascinating. He's the author of my favorite blog on business and marketing on his website, okdork.com. Dorks. I love them. I'm a dork too. In this show, you'll get to hear Noah's scorecard for success, Noah's relationship with money, a challenge for you to try, and we even talk about things like what it means to Noah to be Jewish and what Noah thinks about retirement. Before we get on with the show, I want to give a big shout out to our podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks. With your bike rack, you definitely don't want to worry about your expensive and awesome bike falling off of your car. I've actually never seen it happen, but I know people where that has actually happened to them, and that's probably the worst thing ever. So if you want to get a rack that is going to keep your bike securely in place, is going to be lightweight and super easy to use out of the box, check out kuatracks.com. 
I just want to say I love you guys and thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you for the feedback and all the posts on social media you guys have been doing. It is so cool to see that the show is making a difference in people's lives. And I love that I just get to know some of you. It's awesome. So thank you for that. My lifestyle brand, Moxie and Grit, has a new Do Epic Shit sock coming out very, very soon. So make sure that you follow the Instagram at Moxie and Grit, and Moxie is spelled M-O-X-Y. And get on my email newsletter, go to sonyalooney.com, and you'll be notified. We have it coming out in two colors, and it's really, really fun. So you don't want to miss out on that. I have some other announcements to make at the end of the show, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But let's get into it with Noah Kagan. I hope you enjoyed this exchange as much as I did. One exercise I'll share, because I thought it was one of the best self-confidence builders I've ever experienced in a group setting. Well, two of them. I'll give you a crazy one, and I'll give you, like, another one. It was they put up me, you know, I'm, I was 33 or 32 at the time, 36, next to this older gentleman who's probably, like, 60. Is this interesting? You want to talk about yeah. mountain biking business? No, let's keep going. <laughs> All right. So they put me and this gentleman up in front of everyone, and then they said, all right, ladies, who do you want to have sex with? And I'm like, holy, and then tell us what you're thinking about when you see each person. Wow, that's like super vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty intense. And so I'm up there and, you know, I'm like, I'm, have my, I'm trying to have my posture. And then there's this older gentleman standing next to me. And what was fascinating about it was just, one, how people perceive you, mm-hmm. right? Because you're judging me. The audience is probably judging you and me. And when you're out, people are like, look at her or look at him. And so it was interesting because the women looked at the older gentleman and were like, he looks stable. He looks grounded. He looks like secure. And the other one looks, you know, obviously more like a, probably attractive, mm-hmm. a little more like agile, but not as like grounded. And I was like, oh, it's interesting how the perceptions are. And that a woman like having it like actually like spelled out to you. So that was that was pretty crazy and weird for me. The second activity we did, which I thought was really interesting, was this was only for the men. I don't know what the women did, but they had the men. This is pretty cool. The men, you got to sit in a chair and all the other men stood outside of you in a semicircle. Hmm. right a semicircle and then you had to tell them and then you had to pretend like you're a king and tell the men that you're gonna go they might they're gonna go to war and there's a chance they're gonna die in war and it sounds silly you're like what the fuck were you at noah it makes me Uh, think of like robin hood men in tights when he's like giving the speech (laughs) (laughs) so it's similar to that which is a great it's a really funny movie but the thing that was actually really interesting about that activity and it was really good for self-confidence was when you're sitting in the chair when people sit in their chairs and i'm trying to tell you something sonia i'm like yeah, you guys just go to war and you'll probably die, but good luck. Bye. Right? Like that's one way of it. Or yeah. you sit up in your chair, you have your arms out. You look at the men in each of their eyes one at a time. And then you're like, I need you guys to go to war and kill for us. And you just have, you know, you do it in practice and that kind of you know builds like, how do you want to sit? How do you want to stand? How do you want to dress people? How do you want to look at people? Uh, it was a good experience. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I saw that you have Vanessa Van Edwards on your YouTube channel, and I'm a big fan of her work. And she actually uses that example in her book, like how you stand. And, and I actually listen to her audiobook. So she's like, listen to how I, I sound when I'm standing like this and listen to how I sound when I'm scrunched down like this. Oh, I can hear the difference. I was like closing yeah. my eyes. <laughs> okay, so I want to ask you about your nickname because you say in your podcast, What's up? I'm Noah Kagan, aka a hot sauce or whatever you can come up with. And then Rabbi Can't Lose. So you're the your Rabbi Can't Lose. <laughs> rabbi Can't Lose. You know, I think I don't have a lot of Jewish fans, Jewish audiences that listen to my stuff. I love rap music. And so all the time, you know, rappers, when they start their rap songs, it's like, what up? It's your boy. It's the kid. It's the yeah. young one. Like, it's this and that. And I was like, well, I kind of want to be a rapper one day. I think that'd be really cool. So 
when I started my shows with uh, the Noah Kagan Presents podcast, I did the first name is literally it's like, what up? It's your boy, uh, Mr. Steal Your Pennies. And it's pretty much like whatever is the first thing I see in my room. Okay. <laughs> so it'll be like, yo, what up? It's your boy, Bike Pedal, getting at you right here. Um, <laughs> You know, oh, it's Mr. Water Bottle. And so that's the first name. And then Rabbi Can't Lose was, you know, I want my rap name. And I don't know if you did this, but in elementary school, did you ever try to, like, have a cool signature? Like, all these people had cool signatures. I'm, or, like, when people, I'm like, how'd you get that signature? Or they had cool, um, like, drawings for their names. I had, like, the so, S, Like, you know, when you, like, draw, like, the little dots and you connect them. Yeah, the Stussies. Yeah. Stussy yeah. one. <laughs> this, every, dude, Stussy, I still love that one. <laughs> So I was with my buddy JR, and he's Vietnamese, and you know a lot of Vietnamese people have a last name Win, N G U Y E N. So I was like, oh dude, we could be rabbis, you know, like you could be rabbi, rabbi always win, yeah, right, and I'd be rabbi can't lose, I and like yeah, so I, just, I I like and it's funny because I actually I am Jewish and I do Shabbat dinners, uh huh, like it's a thing that Jews do on Fridays, and where we just basically drink wine and like celebrate the week, and so I kind of host little Jew. I'm not religious at all. But I kind of act like a rabbi and I'm like, I kind of make a goofy Shabbat. And yeah, I, I like actually the rabbi candle. It's been fun. I think I probably need to use the name more often. Yeah, like I wanted to ask you more about being Jewish because that's like, I laugh really hard at all your Jew jokes and I don't know if I'm allowed to be. Like I was on the trail, <laughs> like listening to some of your podcasts yesterday, riding and like you just make these jokes and I'm a loud laugher. So I was just like laughing so loud and I'm sure people could hear across the lake. <laughs> But yeah, like, like Jew Jewish is like a big part of like your branding. So like, I want to hear more about that. Yeah. You know, to say, take step one step back, I think today everyone is way overly sensitive to everything. Yeah, right. Like, like PC. It's crazy. It's crazy to me. So on one hand, America has a president who's obscene. <laughs> Whether you like him or not, this guy is obscene. He's like talks about grabbing pussies and just like, I'm like, this is yeah. the president. This is the president. Yeah. <laughs> And then on the flip side of our society, we have people who you say anything like now and I'm no joke in our office. So I work at Sumo Group. We have different companies that have the word Sumo in it. I'm actually scared about what I can say to a woman. Oh, because like, like, you straight don't want to say like you're, you don't want to imply you're fat or like sexually I don't know what's allowed. I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. I want them to feel uncomfortable. I don't want them to feel like I don't want to get sued. You know, like, for example, Anastasia is a new girl who works here, and she she wore this cool color pink shoes and shirt. And I, mm -hmm. I was like, hey, I really like that color. Mm -hmm. I'm like, is that allowed? Can I say this? Mm -hmm. I don't think of it as branding. Just the way that I express myself is just, I don't know. I think when you bring humor or comedy into things you discuss, you can actually say more things. Like, comedians can talk about rape and offensiveness, yeah. <laughs> women, and all of a sudden. It's like, yeah, but they do it as a joke, and so people are okay with it. I think with me and Jewish stuff... I don't know. I just think it's funny. And I, and I try to do it in a way where I, I've talked with rabbis, like actual legit rabbis, like the guys who they probably talk to God. I don't know what they do, but they're like texting God and they're like a pager code or whatever. It's like, yo, God. And I'm like, yo, is it OK if I say this? But I think in general with me talking about Jewish stuff, I just think it's funny. Uh, and I also kind of at the end, of the day, I think it's, it's positive to put out like stuff about Judaism that maybe people don't think we're all evil or we're all like owning certain stuff and just kind of be lighthearted about it. Yeah. I love all the jokes about Jewish mom because my mom's actually from Lebanon, but I think that she's secretly Jewish because all the things you said were like super similar to my mom. Yeah, Jewish. You know, it's interesting about Jews. <laughs> Let me get out my Jew joke. List. <laughs> that's right. But, I'm not allowed to make them, so. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, yeah, it's, that's debatable. It's I guess like, with each like race, being, you can it's only like be... being black. Like I can't make black jokes. But no, I'm you can't. Them, you know, so. Got nothing there. Well, it's yeah. 
Uh, let's not go that down that route. <laughs> but with uh, the Jewish jokes, you know what's crazy about it is that there's only 10 million Jews oh, in the wow. world out of 7 billion. Yeah. There's only 10 million, maybe a little bit more than that. And we're we're like a dying population because our we're not recreating or procreating kind of like the Mormons. Mormons have got like the best business model. That's right. Uh, for pro yeah, Mormons straight up have the best religion for procreation. But Jews, what's interesting is that such a small population could be such a loud influence in our society. It's true. You know, so it's kind of interesting. And I, I like that I like help. I, I don't think I'm trying to spread Judaism and like force everyone to do it. I'm just trying to bring lighthearted stuff like my mom, like, you know, Jewish moms are fucking crazy. And so it's fun to make fun of her in a, in a mostly positive way and just share like funny Jewish things. Yeah, I, I like yeah. The, the complaining thing because like, <laughs> yeah, Lebanese complain a lot, too. <laughs> do they? So, oh, my God. Yeah. Always complaining. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's a Jewish thing. I think where it comes from in Judaism. So I've been studying Hebrew and I've been to Israel a few times. And what's interesting is why do Jews complain so much? Like what what is in their culture? And it's not that we're just whiners. And like an example for my mom, she just can't not say something negative. And I love my mother, but she's like, you know, I'm having such a great day. That person's fat. And I'm yeah. like, that that was unnecessary. But she, she just can't not criticize something. And so where it comes from in Judaism is that in like in the Bible or I guess our Bible, it basically says question a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. It's like, yo, go ask a bunch of fucking questions. So you're not if you're uncertain about something. So in Israel, it's like, why is it like this? Why is it like this? And that kind of leads to maybe sounding like complaining. OK, so when you go do that Israel bike race I sent you, like, I think that that's going to be your your next race. Yeah, you'll be able to listen to all the complaining on the trail. <laughs> Oh my God, why is it like this, no. Herschel? Herschel, the trails are <laughs> rocky, I don't understand. So so super funny, but I wanna talk about biking cause like I was listening to one of your shows and you're, you talked about mountain biking and I was like, this is awesome, this guy loves mountain biking, I wanna talk to him. Yeah. So like, how did you get into mountain biking? Uh, mountain biking is a more recent thing and you're, you're a professional mountain biker. You guys are nuts, by the way. It's like, oh man, you see these new sprockets? And I'm like, <laughs> Oh man, yeah, I got this. You know, you see the news. I'm like, wow, it's so amazing how obsessive in a positive way that you guys are about this sport, which was surprising to me because my brother's becoming like that. Oh, really? He's like, yeah, it, you know, it, it's interesting. I think in, in any hobby, as you get more into it, how much more there is to, to get into it. Oh yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's N plus one N being the number of bikes, <laughs> <laughs> which is, it's cool, but it's also I think if you're not in that world, like if you're in if you're into biking and someone's not into biking, it's really hard to grasp how they're not into it. They're like, how do you not see what an amazing world and party I'm having over here? That's right. Uh, when you're on when the outside of it. And I, I think I'm on, I'm at the window. I'm like looking inside being like, man, they're doing a bunch of beer and they're drinking and laughing like I want to get in that party for biking. I've been biking my whole life. I'm not a great biker, uh, but I just enjoy being outside. I think it's a cool way to uh, get transportation. And I've been doing a lot of road biking mm -hmm. and my brother, I'm a younger child. So I copied my older brother. He started mountain biking maybe two years ago. And then for me, I was doing a lot of disc golf at the time. Mm -hmm. You're from, I'm guessing you're familiar with disc golf. Yeah, we have a disc golf and I loved here. it. <laughs> yeah. So I loved it. You like get high, you go into nature, you throw discs. And my brother brought up this interesting point that I never thought about. He's like, how many times after disc golf are you feeling excited or energized or pumped? And I'm like, never, <laughs> never. I'm always angry. Like, I'm just a really, I'm not a great winner, but I'm a very poor loser. You're competitive. And so, yeah, it's not even that I'm that competitive that I want to win. I just don't want to lose. And so I do disc golf and I'm like always angry. And so he's like, you know, maybe try mountain biking because 
I always feel great afterwards. Like you can, you almost can't not mountain bike and not feel amazing afterwards. Like think about it for yourself or the, the listeners. It's like, yeah, every time afterwards, I'm like, cool, that was a great experience. So yeah, you got me about two years ago, started doing kind of just like found a local trail in Austin, Walnut Creek Park. You've done that, I think. I think just once. Yeah, I was I was in Austin for an urban assault event and I was actually working like doing marketing for a company at that time. And I rode it with this local guy and I rode it on a road bike actually. And it was like the nicest road bike I'd ever been on. I didn't even really, I own like a really crappy road bike. So that's still to date the nicest road bike I've been on, but you rode through Austin and you did all these different obstacles. And then, and then later we did a mountain bike ride, but yeah. Nice. (laughs) Nice. I mean, in mountain biking, it's been an amazing experience where I'll tell you recently it's changed, but overall it's been, you're in nature, you have adrenaline, you get exercise. It's a good culture. You can do it by yourself. You don't really have to have other people, but it's also nice socially. So there's a lot of great aspects to it. And you always feel good afterwards. Recently, though, it was weird. I'll tell you, Sonia, I, um, I didn't mountain bike for maybe about the past two months. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm, I'm 36, just to give you context. I got really scared. Mm-hmm. That's normal. I was, I was just afraid. I was really afraid. Nothing happened either this time. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened. I was just like thinking about mountain biking. And I was like, oh, like I would see a, like a ledge and I would think, if I go up on that ledge, I'm falling off and I'm going to hurt myself and it's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that came from. And I, I don't know, this is something that you've got, you've ever gone through? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Fear is a definitely a natural part of it. And there's actually days where you just aren't, you're just not on it. Like there's times where it's like, I'll have ridden off a jump or a drop, like dozens and dozens of times. And then there'll be a day where I just don't feel it. And I get off my bike and I walk it. Like the sport is very humbling. But in those situations, like what what I do is instead of thinking about crashing, which I, you know, that that does get in my mind, think about the the, what you need to do to get through that feature instead of like thinking about the bad things that could happen. So breaking down like, okay, what do I need to do to get through this ledge or this drop or something like that? Yeah, it's like, okay, I'm going to like set my speed. I'm going to look ahead. I'm I'm not going to I'm going to not touch my brakes. I'm going to lean back here. I'm going to put my body here. But I guess that requires like a lot of time spent thinking about what you actually need to do to get through that. Because some, sometimes people just like ride off it instead of actually know what the thing is that you need to do. So mm. that, I guess that further complicates it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the two parts that have happened. So I did actually go mountain biking this weekend because my brother came to visit from the Berkey. He oh, lives yeah? In the Berkey. That's where he lives? Awesome. He lives in the Berkey, yeah. Um, he's in their mountain biking club. And you know, sometimes when you go back to activities that you used to do or activities that you've enjoyed in the past and you did it, I was like, oh, yeah, this it is really fun. Like we did, you know, that Walnut Creek Park and Emma Long, which is super technical. It's actually a motorcycle course. And I was like, oh, yeah, mountain biking is fun. I like this. So it was nice to do that. The second thing with mountain biking is I think I don't know, maybe it's with every sport. I don't know if this is like self-serving, but I think you learn so much about yourself yeah. from these activities. Like there was this I was thinking about there's this pile of logs and I, I swear to God, three times I'd come back to the park and the pile of logs I was terrified of. Yeah. Terrified. And I had like friends do it. We talked about it. And then the fourth time I was so scared to go to the park. But I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm like, you are going to fucking do this pile of logs. You Don't be a bitch. And I was like, okay, okay, fine. I'll do it. So I go to the logs. I'm still scared. And the one thing that helped me a lot was once my friend did it before me. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that was even more important was that I, I envisioned it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know visual- if you do that. Like, yeah, hey, visualization. Visualize, excuse me. Yeah, my English is not so good. <laughs> but yeah, like I breath. visualized. I was like, all right, you're going to come up. You're going to lean back. You're going to go down. You're going to roll and it's going to go smoothly. And that actually I was like, OK, fuck it. Let's go. Uh, I finally did the logs. And what was fascinating about it was, was a 
my, my friend recorded the video and mountain biking, unless you're Red Bull Extreme, never looks good on video. It, ne like it I said, never looks nearly as steep or as hard. You're <laughs> yeah. like, you're like that was like the gnarliest thing I've ever done. And it looks flat. Yes. And like you get so mad because sometimes you psych yourself up just to do it for the video or like sometimes I do. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. that didn't come out. No, it does. Mountain biking, unless you're doing like the Red Bull Rampage, which if people haven't watched it is absolutely insane. And even the Red Bull Rampage, I've been there in, in Utah. It doesn't look scary as much scary on the on the videos, but in person, Red Bull Rampage is literally straight down a mountain. Yeah, you ride off a cliff, like you ride off a cliff. But on the video, you're like, oh, they're doing a backflip off of it. I'm like, they're doing backflip off a cliff of a mountain. And the second thing, what was crazy and not crazy, but it's an amazing thing about sports and specifically mountain biking and other ones, is that once you've like expanded your abilities, you don't, you're like, holy shit, I could do so much more. Totally, I think that those things actually really apply everywhere else in your life because. Number one, you learn that there's always room for growth and there's always room for improvement no matter how long you've been doing it, no matter how good you are. And number two, you learn how to deal with yourself like whenever you are being afraid or whenever like it's not going well or you, you're walking or everyone else is doing it, but you're not. And I think that like what you said, you learn a lot about that, but you can apply that in so many different areas of your life. And I think it makes you way more confident and it gives you the ability to take on other challenges. And that's what really makes you feel like really good in your life is when you're taking on challenges. It doesn't have to be on the bike. Yeah, I, th I think what, what's interesting sometimes is thinking about how we do it in one parts of a life, but not in other parts. Mm -hmm. Right. So we'll, on mountain biking, we're like, all right, I'm going to face this fear, like the logs or there's this one drop that I haven't still done. And my friend's like, hey, you want to do that trail? I'm like, oh, no, it's raining. I'm not going to do it. Bummer. But I need to go face it. And then it's, it's also good to think about that. How is that? How am I doing that in my relationships with maybe my wife or husband? Or how am I doing that with my work? We're like expanding my scope of abilities because mm -hmm. I, I generally think it makes life better. And so it's like, you know, I do it in one place. Now let me go and apply it in other places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speaking of, I want to talk about uh, your work life a little bit because it's super fascinating what you've done and, and your background. And I know you've talked, you told the story like a million times. Um, so I'm yeah. going to keep this part short, but like, how did you get started? Like, what was your first job? My first like real cool job was like, I worked at a popcorn stand for two years. <laughs> I had, did you, I think did you in, eat all the popcorn? Um, not too much. They actually had a, like a lot of had a lot of Slurpees, <laughs> a lot of Slurpees, a lot of cotton candy. But I did eat a, lot, a good amount of popcorn. I was like the popcorn king. Like I dealt it. Like I dealt it in the mall. I felt like a dealer. That's like, like your no, next, that's like your next business. Instead of King Sumo, you're like King Popcorn. <laughs> it could be yeah. no, King Colonel. But yeah, I had a lot of remedial shit jobs. I worked at Office Max. I worked at Macy's. I worked at summer camps. And I think everyone should have some shit job in their life. Totally. Like you should go have some like I, even now sometimes I love doing manual labor because, you know, when you work on a computer all day, it's like, OK, what would you do all day? I sat for eight hours or stood and just did this typing shit. So it's nice to get out and, and like do something physical for work. But, yeah, I'd say my first real job, I graduated Berkeley in 2004 and I went and worked at Intel mm -hmm. it was my first like monkey job. What were you doing I, there? Um, I'm great. On one hand, I want to say I'm very grateful. They gave me a job. I got paid fifty five thousand out of college. But I really didn't do shit. Like, I know it sounds weird, but like most people in the corporate world don't actually do much all day. Like you get in at like 10, you have some bullshit meetings all day, you have a half, an hour and a half lunch, and then you kind of dick around. Or maybe this is just me and I'm like a shitty worker. Uh, <laughs> but it was, well, it, it's not a shitty worker. I think it's, it's easy to be a great worker when you find something you're interested in. Uh, and so for them, I was doing supply chain optimization. Which literally meant, I mean, it sounds fancier than it is, but it was basically figuring out how many things we need to be making from for the chips. We're using a spreadsheet. 
it's basically something I should have been replaced by a robot very quickly, but it's a big ass slow company that's probably still using spreadsheets. So I, I for me, though, I, I think with my professional interest, I've always wanted to be in tech. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up in Silicon Valley, blah, blah, blah. Like I just love computers. Like I, you know, I think the way people way that people can figure out what they should do in life is like when you open a newspaper, what section are you looking at all the time? Or when you go to a magazine rack, what's the first magazine you grab? And for me, it was like, let me grab Forbes or Fortune or like Fast Company or whatever the hell it was. Uh, but yeah, so I was going to be tech. So Intel was the first company uh, I got a real job at. That's funny. I can actually really relate with the uh, the cubicle hell because my background is actually in engineering. So like, yeah, I worked I worked in the cubicle and I used to think to myself, this is stupid that I have to be here for eight hours because I could get the work done that needs to be done in two hours and I could go home and do something else. But I think that one of the problems is that they need to somehow like create more work or more interesting work for people that way they're more engaged or just like let you go home when you're done because if you have a little bit of work to do and then you have to stretch it out for the entire day so that you look like you're busy it's like well i don't want to get fired so what else am i going to do i think it should be illegal to be inside on nice days yeah i I, I think it should just be against the law i even at our company i'm like when people are inside straight up when people are inside like at our companies i was just like do you guys realize how fucking nice it is outside like, it's like 75 degrees, go on your bike, go swimming, go boating. Like yesterday, if someone went wake surfing, I was like, yes, get the hell out. Yes. And then when it's not, you know, maybe in the morning or at night or when it gets hot in Austin, then stay inside and work all day. But yeah, it, it's, it's it's a problem with how the work environment is, um, I guess, the social norms of a work environment. Like, I would sit until eight hours a day, but I probably only work 30. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a function that, like, people want to work. I think actually most people want to feel productive and they want to feel meaning in their work. So it's figuring out how to get that alignment with what you do all day long. Yeah. And like keeping workers happy in their environment so that whenever they are at work, they're more productive. And there's a lot of different studies that show if people are happy, they're actually way more productive. Well, I think that's actually a challenge lately. Is I don't I think people are trying to be too happy too often. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds fucked up, but it's like, you know, with especially younger people and we're, we're still relatively young, but they're like, I'm not happy. I'm going to quit. I'm like, bitch, you've been here a month. <laughs> like, you think that another job is going to be that much better? It's not. Trust me, it's not. And so I think more than just happiness, it's just finding like types of problems that you're really interested in solving. Mm-hmm. At least that's that's what it's been for me. And I think I've had decent success for that, the way I measure it, uh, just focusing on those things. Like, okay, what problems am I interested in? It's like marketing, connecting people, like when I worked at Facebook or personal finance when I worked at Mint.com. Uh, and now Sumo, it's like we help small business owners. It's just like those are things that I'm I'm interested in. I think the other thing I re- I'm reading this book now, I, I highly recommend it. It's not as common. It's called The Road Less Stupid. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because a lot of companies, including ours, like at Sumo.com and AppSumo.com and all of our different businesses, we have like free lunches and free massages and, you know, team outings to cool things. And we do two trips a year to like Canada or Mexico. And I, th- I think what and what the book says that I really recommend and I really I like it. I'm like, damn, that's a good reminder. You shouldn't be hiring. Pe- the people shouldn't be joining your company or working somewhere for the perks. Right. They should be working there because, one, they're an intrinsically motivated, hardworking person. And then secondly, they want to be part of what you're doing. They're like, I believe in, you know, Sumo.com. I believe in the Sunil Loney show. Like, I want to be a part of this, this story and I want this to be a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Yeah, that reminds me of some of the Patrick Lencioni books, like The Ideal Team Player. And like my husband runs his own business. So I've actually learned a lot just like on the side from him and and just watching him grow a team and figure out how to hire the right people and create a, a culture. So, yeah. Patrick, Lee, I was just like, who is his name? Yeah. So I've read one of Patrick's book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I don't know if you've read that one. I haven't read that one yet. 
Oh my God, the five dysfunction of the team. If you are in a company and you're blaming other people for sucking, that book is the jam. Because I've definitely, um, you know, in this company too, like I helped start it and I, I'm a part of it. It's easy to start being like, well, that guy sucks and this girl's bad. And, this, you know, and also you have to look at your own self. Uh, but that book is a good framework and structure about how to make your team more effective. So I, I really recommend five dysfunctions of a team. Good call to bring that up. Yeah, thanks. So did you apply for a job at Facebook? Like, how did you get a job there? Yeah, it's you know what's crazy now? What is it now? It's 13 years later, which is insane. And for that job, basically, it was, I think, June or July in uh, in the year 20, 2005, 2005. And I was like, I'm going to quit at the end of the year to either to start my own company. That was my plan because I wanted my health insurance to finish out because I was going to get LASIK. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was using Facebook and I just like, you know, I think when you're using another website, you look at the job section. Mm-hmm. I don't really do that anymore, I guess, because I, I like my job. But I think when you don't like your job, you like look at job sections. And so I saw that they had a product manager job and it was like, hey, come help build Facebook. And I was like, I use Facebook all the time. This is before you know, it was even really popular. There's only, I think, less than there's like seven million people using it. And now there's two billion people using all that stuff. Uh, so I just submit my resume. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any connections. But I think one of the key things about how I was able to get the job there was that a lot of the a lot of the things they wanted me to do, I was already doing on my spare time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are like, hey, how do I get a job at any company? It's like, well, what are you doing right now? Are you doing any projects? Are you making any businesses? Are you doing anything that helps set you up so that if you want a job there, they're looking at someone who's been making things happen? So I created all these other companies in college and made it easy when I was applying there. to be like, oh, yeah, I've made all this stuff. So I have an idea about how to build stuff with you guys. I don't want to, like, put words in your mouth. So can you tell us, like, what happened? Because, <laughs> yeah, I know that you were working there and then you weren't working there. Yeah, I got fired after nine months. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever worked at a hyper growth startup, there is it's kind of like dog years. So like nine months there felt like 10 years at any other company. Yeah, you know, it was, sure. it was like the 180 of being at Intel where I was around literally the best people in the world. We're on a fast growing company. We're making really interesting decisions. And I would say professionally, it was probably the hardest time and also the best growth time for me. Mm-hmm. I think it, now that I've run a company, I do understand the decision they made. It was like, all right, certain people are there at certain times. Mm -hmm. So it's like even like someone mountain biking. In the beginning, you probably go outside and you do rocks and you're like, why would I ever need a coach? Mm -hmm. And then you were like, oh, wow, I got it. Let me try talking to Sonia. And you start working with Sonia, which I don't know if you coach a lot of people. I know you do Reggie Miller. But it was like, oh, shit, now I'm elevating my game. And so you generally get elevated and improve a lot when you're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's not when you're comfortable. It's when you're actually feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and you're trying something new. And so then, yeah, I, I think at that time I wasn't able to grow as the company was growing. It wasn't my skill set. And it's honestly today, I still think they'd fire me again if I, they hired me back, which mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think they'd hire me back. Like as an outsider listening to the whole story, like at first I was like, oh, like that sucks. And then I thought to myself, well, maybe that's like one of the best things that's ever happened to him because you wouldn't have done all these. Like you might not have gone on to to start AppSumo to do all the things that you've done and learn as much as you have about yourself had that not happened. Well, I don't know. It'd be really cool to be super rich, to have like 100 million bucks and not have to do shit again. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. I mean, I think as humans, we generally rationalize or justify whatever we do to make it seem like it was the best outcome. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it is, I, as I think as a man, I can't, I don't know how it is to be a woman, but I think as a man, it's really helpful to have a chip on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Or to have something to like prove to your father. Mm-hmm. One of those two things. And so the chip on my shoulder was like, fuck you guys for firing me. I'm going to prove that I can actually do and create something special, which I believe we've done with Sumo Group. So thanks for firing. Also, just 
one thing I want to say is that we we sued Mark. My second company, we had we were doing Facebook games, and then Facebook banned us, mm-hmm. and then we sued him. And I could say now publicly we won. Awesome. So <laughs> finally, finally got some got a win. So you had shares in the company. It was like 0.1 percent, and yeah, like you you lost potentially like a lot of money, like 100 million dollars or or whatever, um, and not just whatever, but whenever it sold. But like. What role does money play in your life? Like, what is your relationship with money? Because I, I think that after you have a certain amount of money, like, it doesn't really matter if you have another $100 million, because, like, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, I, you know, I think about that sometimes in the morning where I'm like, oh, I want to buy something. Like, I want to buy new shoes. And then I want to, I start thinking to myself, like, how much is this materialism really making my life better? Or am I just becoming, like, a victim where, like, my happiness needs to be buying things? Mm-hmm. And so I, I definitely am, I'm very aware of it. At that time, originally, when I got fired, I thought to myself, like, fuck, I didn't get all this money. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to a, a therapist at the time or a life coach, which just sounds a lot cooler. And the life coach was like, all right, so you lost out on this money. Because even at that time, I knew it was going to be worth a lot. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, what, what would you want to buy with all that money? And I was like, I'd want to buy an M3. <laughs> I'd want to buy a house. I think there's a few other things at that time. She's like, well, how much does that cost? And I was like, probably about a million. And she's like, okay, do you think that in the next like five years or some matters you can actually make a million bucks? And I was like, yeah, definitely. She's like, okay, so is there any other real reason that it's a bad loss? And I was like, no. So it, it's interesting that you're uh, that she put in that perspective of like, what did I actually really want? Because mm-hmm. uh, I think with, with money and people, it's, it, it's a crazy thing. People kill for money. They literally every day get killed for money. And I think what's fascinating about money is that people imagine that when they get these certain amounts of money, everything changes. Mm-hmm. And when you're poor and you hear someone like me talk about this, you're like, well, fuck you, man, because you have some, mm-hmm. right? Which is interesting. But the reality is, is that even if you have a lot or a little, uh, it's really about like, how are you living your life? Because like, even though I, I have some money, probably more than most people, and it's not as a brag, just, but I still live a pretty simple life. Like I drive a scooter. I have a 2004 Miata. I live in a 700 square foot apartment. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I don't fly first class. I don't know. Like I... I could live on like if I made $70,000 a year or 50,000, I'd probably still live the same way. Mm-hmm. So I think what people really need to think about is like, what do they really want in their lives? Yeah. And then like, how does money really like how much money do you actually need to be there? Because a lot of people think when you get shit ton of money over retire. like my parents retired. And I honestly, I feel like when you retire, you just start dying. Like that shit seems really crappy. Because I think you should just live now. Not that you should be totally indulgent and hedonistic, but Go on two-week trips or three-week trips. Find work that's meaningful and continue that until the day you die instead of needing to retire and stop all that stuff. To me, retiring seems like the opposite of anything I'd ever want to do. Uh, And so the only thing I would say that money does enable, and I'd rather have more money and be unhappy than less money and be unhappy, is like how do you use money to just get more time to do the things you want? And that's the part where I'd say getting whatever amount that people need is very important so that you're paying for things that save your time. Yeah, for sure. Like, that, I think also your point on retirement, like that's something my husband loves talking about because he's a financial advisor. And he, it's funny because he's like, retirement's fucked. Like people shouldn't retire. I'm like, but you're helping people plan for their retirement. But the, I think the whole point though is like whenever you say to somebody, retirement is stupid, what you're saying is you need to do something in your life that actually matters to you because people want to retire because they hate their job and they can't or won't do the things that they actually want to do now. So like you and I were like, no, like retirement's stupid because we love what we do. But people that hate what they do, they're working at Intel, maybe stuck in their cubicle and they don't know how to get out or they just choose not to get out. I think those are the people who can't wait to retire. 
Well, and I get it. There was a guy named Rick who worked at Intel who had a minivan. And <laughs> Intel provided, I just remember he had a minivan. And I just remember that he really appreciated Intel because he could leave work at five and then go take care of his kids and go to soccer practice. And that actually was his life. But the eight hours a day he was at work, which he was actually insanely impressive. But to him, it was just like, well, this is just my job. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'll do just, you know, whatever to get the bills paid. And I think him and my mother, who my mom was a nurse, and she hated her job. As a Jewish woman, she complained every day about it. <laughs> and it sucked. And so I, I think that just kind of like planted a seed in me that we should try to live the lives that we don't want to retire from. And so, you know, like my girlfriend now is a nurse and she loves being a nurse, which I'm like, great. I want to be around people who love their careers. I think there are people probably listening. They're like, well, fuck you, man, because I've got two kids. I have to keep this job because I can't just quit and be, you know, try to make money mountain biking. But the thing I would recommend for them is that there's nights, there's weekends, there's lunch breaks, there's mornings and anything that you want to create is going to take some time. So just start today. So if you want to be doing mountain biking more, maybe like go do review website. Or maybe be, start coaching just one person for free or creating like your own like like epicrides.com, like create your own little like mini events, whatever it is that you want. Like, but if you do it and in two years, as long as you start today, in two years, you'll have some type of business or career that you can then move into full time. Uh, I think people just kind of like make excuses why they're not starting today. And, and people have kids. That shit's hard. I, I can't imagine. That's why I don't have kids yet. But you do have time available if it's something you want to actually change. Yeah, and I think that just the growth rate is slower. If like, I don't have kids either, but the growth rate is probably just slower. I think another thing that people do and the reason they don't get started is because they think, well, I don't know how to do that or it's not going to look a certain way. And like something I did and it's like makes me a little bit uncomfortable about how I've done it. But like I started a lifestyle apparel brand a couple months ago. I was like, screw it. I'm, put I'm putting up the Shopify. Like I got the products made and the photos aren't amazing and I don't have like a really strong plan yet. But like I got started and it's making money. It's a profitable business already. And like that's an example of just like it doesn't have to look amazing. It doesn't have to be the best thing ever. But you just have to get going in that direction and you'll figure it out as you go. And having the confidence to know that you'll figure it out as you go. What? Uh, how much has it made? Uh, I don't know the exact number. I think it's made like $10,000. That's good. Yeah. That's I good. Mean, that's, like, that's like top line. That doesn't include all the expenses and stuff. Uh, but Yeah. Profit's king or queen. Yeah. Yeah, so I, far, I, so good. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? I was talking with um, a buddy yesterday. He runs MyTennisLesson.com. What's interesting, I, I don't think people think about it, is that like every empire starts small. But no empire ever started just immediately big. But I think people think about it like, it has to be big. And it's like, well, no, it's, it's got to start small. And in time, it gets big. And so to think about that as not to get overwhelmed to start like your apparel line, which is great. And I think the reality, like with Jews, why Jews do well in business coming back full circle, <laughs> is that I think Jews, because of the, the way our, we're a young culture, right? It's, Jews have been around a long time, but Israel's only been around 50 years. I, don't, I think Jews have gotten okay asking. You know, we ask mm -hmm. questions. I think also in business, the number one thing that you can improve as a skill, like, like in mountain biking in business, I think it's being comfortable asking for things. Because what you're doing is you're saying, hey, give me your money. I'm asking for your money for this shirt, or I'm asking your money for this service, or I'm asking your money for this software. Have you ever heard me talk about the coffee challenge? Yeah, I actually want you to, to challenge people to do that. Okay, so before I even admit, uh, tell you guys what to do, just say if you're going to do it or not. It won't hurt, harm your body. So right now in your ears or in your eyes, just say yes or no, you'll do it. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> just say yes and do it. Just say yes. So what the coffee challenge is, is the idea, if you're wanting to start a business, if you want to get better relationships, you want to get better in different things in life, 
Uh, you go to a Starbucks or anywhere that you buy something. If you don't drink coffee, do tea, do whatever. Do the next place you go to buy anything. And then you ask for 10% off. And it's it's uncomfortable. And then you just don't say anything. And they're like, really? And you're like, yeah, I'd like 10% off. And what's been fascinating about this, I came up with it when I was in a coffee shop working on how to help people start businesses. And what was interesting is that people were so afraid of, of asking for money. And the coffee challenge, you it's a muscle of asking so that when you start asking and you get rejected, which I hope you do, you're like, oh, shit, that's not that bad. Let me keep doing it and then keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Eventually, it gets to be easy, just like doing that logs or you doing your ledge or whatever it is. You're like, oh, yeah, this is cake now. What else can I do? Yeah, or like like people always ask me like, well, because I don't ride for a team. I'm 100% self-managed with all my sponsors. And people are like, well, how do you do that? It's like, well, you have to write a proposal and you have to ask for money and then you have to figure out like how much to ask for. And that's one of the hardest things is like, well, how much am I worth and what value am I actually bringing and being willing, much- and being willing to say no, like having having people tell you no. And it happens all the time. Well, well, two things about that. I have a question that I want to follow up with. How much do you get sponsored for? You don't have to name the company, but like, what is it? I, I've just never heard of an amount. Oh, well, it's anywhere from like $5,000 to like a lot more. <laughs> Hold on, like, what's the top line? Like, give me an S, like, uh, a like, like, you could make, like, in the in biking, probably, like, 30 grand from one sponsor, but then... I'm going to get into... <laughs> yeah, you should, but you're uh, already I'm, I'm going to try to get sponsored. But, like, um, I think the key for, for people is, like, you have to have a really strong value proposition. It's not like, hey, give me, yes. give me 10 grand, and I'm going to go ride fast and, like, be cool. It's, like, you have to really... Like, when you're asking for anything, like, the 10% off the coffee, you don't have to be like, hey, give me 10% off because... I'm really cool. But like when you're when you're trying to ask for money from anybody, whether it be like for a company or as a sponsor or like for a promotion at work, like having a strong value proposition for them to give them a reason to say, I'm going to help make your company more money by doing X. And I think that that's a really good way to ask. Yes. Yes. It, you know, that was kind of the follow up thing. How do you position it to them to make it so that they'll give you five to 30K or 50K? Um, I have like three different tiers. And then I have for each tier, like, this is what you're going to get. So it's always preface, not like you give me this. It's like, these are all the things that you're going to get from me. Mm. Um, Love it. And I say, you're going to integrate, like, basically you're integrating me as part of your marketing team. Like I'm, I'm becoming a part of your brand. I'm a part of your marketing team and I'm going to create content and use my personal brand as a way to get you more customers. I love it. I, you know, I was talking with the magician yesterday I, I take magic classes. I have. That's I take awesome. magic classes. I want to see a and, magic trick. <laughs> well, I can get my deck of cards in, in a second. And I was talking to him about it, and he was emailing people for referrals. And I think what you you've said is the key thing is that the things that happen with him is he sends an email, and then he just like hope he does this prayer. He's like, I sent an email, and I pray to God that someone emails me back. And I'm like, you're just hoping. I don't do hope in business. Mm-hmm. Like, go and call them. Like go and make it like go and be active in it. Don't be passive. Number one. And the second thing I think you're doing is amazing. I love that you're you're saying it is how are you making it an amazing thing for them? Not for you. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, for 5,000 bucks, you're going to get all this crazy. You're going to get all this shit. And it's only 5,000 bucks. Mm-hmm. And it's only this for that. Like Jeff Linoski, I'm guessing you know him. Trail boss. Yeah. He and I actually did a ride together at Sea Otter. Like, oh, yeah. Like I love Jeff. Sponsors. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff is one of these guys, too. Like, I, I got to hear more of his story. And. He was similar where, you know, people are like, oh, he's sponsored by Giant. He's got these different things. And I'm like, Jeff goes out and hustles. Yeah, he's not waiting for sponsors to come to him. Yeah, he's yeah. putting out YouTube, putting out shows, going to demos, all this stuff. And 
uh, I think a lot of people, when they see that, they think that you're just waiting around and just magically comes. Like even at my company, I've never, we've never gotten acquired because I haven't gone out and put in the work for it. Do you so want I'm to get of, acquired? I don't know. It's like, I don't really have anything else I do all day. Like, I can't believe I get paid to like get in, hang out with you, make YouTube videos, work on like kingsuma.com. Like, no, I don't have any other thing. Otherwise I'd go do that. Like what, what part of what you do during your, your day is like, cause it, there's, there's app sumo, king sumo and sumo. Um, and then there's like the podcast and okdork.com and YouTube. Yeah. And like a lot of times entrepreneurs have their own kind of side thing going with their own interests. So like yeah. what percentage of the time are you spending at sumo, all, all the, the sumo uh, empire and then the okay dork, Noah Kagan empire? Well, so it's all about the sumo empire. So I, th I, I think there's two key things. Number one, people should be clear about what is your profession and what is your hobby. So you are a professional mountain biker. Like your hobby might be podcasting or something else or whatever, you know, like maybe it's fly fishing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and so my professional is Sumo. So AppSumo, which is daily deals, King Sumo, which is giveaways, Sumo.com, which is email marketing, and briefcasedhq.com, which is our Netflix for software. That is my business. Mm -hmm. My personal stuff, and I think what's interesting is that my hobby stuff, I don't treat professionally. I treat it like a hobby. And I'm not trying to be like some major influencer. I'm not speaking everywhere. I'm not putting out like tons of videos a week because it is my hobby. I'm not, I don't make any money on YouTube or podcast or OP door. It's just stuff that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And I think for people out there, if they don't, if they have a shitty job and they're like, well, I don't know what kind of job I want to do. The way I look at it is like, just what would you want to work on for free? So the things I do, like the YouTube stuff and podcasts, I do it for free because I fucking love it. Like YouTube, I don't really love as much the creating videos. I like promoting them. Mm -hmm. And the podcast like gives me this amazing place that I can go connect with. Like I got to connect with this na guy named Tyson Cole who created my favorite sushi restaurant, Uchiko. Or like I got to meet Bo Jackson two weeks ago and I do it for free and I love it. And so I think more people should just find the activities to do for free. And subsequently, you'll probably end up making a little bit of money doing that uh, in the end. Was AppSumo a thing that you were doing on the side for fun that like as your hobby and then it grew into a business? No, I, I wanted that to be a business. I didn't want it. This sounds bad. I didn't think it would be this big. How big is it? Um, well, it's a personal question. Uh, we don't want to talk about revenue because I don't want it to come across as like, this is what we focus on. Like, hey, how much more money can we make? It isn't that that part of the business is an eight figure business. Uh, uh, sorry to interrupt again, but like, how do you yeah. gauge success of the, like there's money and then there's success. So like, what's your scorecard of success? I still the money him. thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> For, and, and this, it's not, it doesn't, I don't mean it to sound bad, but once you make some money, making more money is not that interesting. So think about the richest people in the world. Why? Like most people, if they were there, they would stop working. Like if I was as rich as him, I'd stop working. So why are all the richest people in the world still working? Cause they're not working for money. It's not about the money. It's, but, I know. Which, if you don't have money though, you're like, well, fuck you, Noah. So I'm like, just get some money that you're comfortable and then, and, or do those things that you don't have that you're like, well, I don't care if I make a lot. And you'll probably end up making a lot. So in terms of success for me lately, my stuff for success is more about it's more like on the sumo world. It's not about how much more money we make, but it's like, how, are people actually using our stuff? And I don't say the word shit because I give it, just a quick side thought when people are like, oh, yeah, my shit. My, I'm like, no, it's not shit. It's a Dalai Lama thing. But uh, the point I was trying to make is that to me, the, the biggest thing is like, can I create tools? Can I be a part of a company that people are using and they're getting real results for themselves? Not about, and then subsequently that will actually make a lot of money. But I, I've come back to like when a customer 
or a friend of mine like you and you're like, hey, I use King Sumo. I ran a giveaway. It fucking changed my YouTube or grew my Instagram or grew my email list. I'm like, that's what I'm about. Not like, you know, making an extra like 10,000 or 100,000. It's, it's like, okay, what, what am I going to do with it? Like upgrade my Miata more? You can't upgrade your Miata more. <laughs> you know, I would say in my 20s, yeah, making more money was an objective. I wanted to make a million. Mm-hmm. And I was able to do it. But now it's like that money, I'd rather have the team get paid more. I'd rather have us, our customers make more stuff, like get more results with the stuff we're making. Uh, on my ho- personal hobby side, I would say the measurement of success and is, is influenced to some extent. Mm-hmm. I'm not going as aggressive on it as I've done in other things, but it's like, yeah, I want to have a little bit more of a reach. So when I put out stuff that I put effort into, you know, I can promote things more. Like I love promoting people or products or services. So it's cool to have a, more people that listen to me so that I can be like, yo, this is fucking great stuff. Like, uh, Bo Jackson is great, or Seth's bike hacks is great, or like Lametric, which is a clock thing. It's right here. Like Lametric, it's like this little oh, nice. YouTube. You can use it to count YouTube or count your podcast or count your email list or count revenue. It's great. And because I have some reach, I can like share these things with people. Mm-hmm. Or like Bo Jackson, because I have some reach, I could do charity work with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it so. sounds like you're like... I just want people to realize that it's not about the money or like you could say, it's not about the race results. It's about why you do it. Like the money is just like an end game thing. It's not like the reason, I don't know. Maybe it is the reason why some people get up in the morning, but I think that if you want longevity in whatever you're doing, there has to be something more than like a number. Yeah. I I like having a number of something to focus on. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've learned from market Facebook. It's like pick a number to focus on. So maybe with bike riding, it's a timing thing or it's a number of races you do or whatever it is. I like focus of a singular number in business and in personal. But I've noticed that like motivating around money eventually like I think and ultimately causes like bad choices because you're like it's more short term of like this money thing is not working or I need more of this thing. And I don't ultimately think it's that fulfilling. So I think the scorecards need to be like what are things you're working on that you genuinely are interested in. Like I think when we started AppSumo like maybe a few years into it someone's like what's your mission? What's your mission? And I was like I thought about it and I was like, help a million entrepreneurs grow their businesses. And I remember saying that and being like, that is so full of shit for me. I don't really care if it's a million. I care if it's like cool companies that I want to help grow. And ultimately it's like, I want to create things that help people grow themselves. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like I want to help promote cool people, cool yes. people, cool products, cool services. And, and that's what it was like authentically for me at the end of the day, not about how many it was. Awesome. Well, I know that we have a a stop time now, so I could talk to you all day, but thanks so much for coming on the show, Noah. Sonny, you're awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I'll link you up in the show notes so everybody can connect with you. What do you guys think? Noah Kagan is a pretty rad dude. I love talking to him, and I hope I get to go for a bike ride with him soon. I love the topics that we got into and I think it's important to just think about pretty regularly what money means to you and what success means to you because I think that that does influence the types of decisions that you make in your life. Definitely subscribe to Noah's podcast and YouTube channel because I think that he has so much great information to give. And even if you're not an entrepreneur and you don't want to start a business, I think that just hearing a lot of the life lessons that he has through all of the things that he's done and all of the incredible people that he gets to talk to is helpful no matter who you are. Don't forget about the coffee challenge, you guys, or any challenge. Go up to somebody and just ask for a discount. I know that sounds crazy, but it's funny. My mom has done that since I was a little kid, so that's actually second nature to me, always asking for a discount. 
And you feel a little bit uncomfortable at first whenever you first start doing that. But again, it teaches you how to ask for stuff. And I think it's important to be able to put yourself outside your comfort zone and just ask. And like the worst that's going to happen is they might just say no. When you get comfortable asking for what you want in your life, it's pretty amazing. Check this out. Next week, I'm going to Japan. I have never been to Japan. I'm so excited to go there. It's been at the top of my list. I was riding my bike in Sedona this winter and listening to a podcast. And the question was, where would you go if someone gave you a plane ticket anywhere in the world? And for me, it was Vietnam and Japan. And one of my good friends, Yuki Ikeda, and former teammate, lives there. We used to live in Colorado together, and actually we got to know each other racing collegiate mountain biking. But there's this race called the Otaki 100km, and it's the biggest 100k mountain bike race in Japan. And we've been talking about me going to that race forever, so I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go do it. So I'm going to Japan next week. So make sure you follow the adventure. There's gonna be all kinds of cool stuff like toys and stuffed animals. Like I, I noticed that in Japan and with Japanese people, they have all these really fun like animated toy things. And I, I wanna check that out. I love mushrooms and all the cool vegetables that they have in Japan and the people. I love every Japanese person I've ever met. They're super nice people. And I just can't wait to experience a whole other culture and pagodas. Pagodas are so cool. Big shout out and thank you to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon. It really helps with the growth of the show and I can't thank you enough for your support. My free Facebook page, The Plant Power Tribe, is booming and it's not only about diet these days. People are posting about healthy lifestyle habits that they're doing as well. And you don't have to be a vegan, you don't have to eat plant-based, you just have to want to be healthier. So it's just a really great Facebook group that helps support healthy lifestyle with no judgment and just awesomeness. And my last announcement, you guys, if you haven't seen this yet, I have my very first awesome mountain bike vacation retreat in October. It's called the Sonia Looney Experience, the Bend Edition. So it is in Bend, Oregon. It's October 4th through the 7th. It includes three no-drop guided mountain bike rides, and there's going to be a couple groups based on ability level. Yoga, speakers, brewery tour. Yeah, Deschutes Brewery is in Bend, Oregon, and I can personally say that that's one of my favorite stops whenever I'm in Bend. And just a great time. I want this to be the best mountain bike vacation you've ever had. And I want to take some of the amazing experiences I've had around the world, building community and having fun at stage races, and just make it into a vacation so that you don't have the pressure of a race on your hands and you still get to ride awesome trails. So go to my website, it's sonyalooney.com and it's under the retreats menu. I'm partnering with Cog Wild. They have their own series of guided rides that they do in Oregon. And I'm really excited to partner with these guys. I've known them forever and I've done lots of riding with them. So we will definitely be in good hands. It's limited to 12 spots. That's right. Not very many people. I want to keep the group small and intimate so that we all really get to know each other well and that I get to know you well. Thanks again to our podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks. I have been enjoying my Kuat Rack on the back of my car and I have lots of summer road trips coming up. So that thing is gonna get put to good use. Thanks again for listening, you guys. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks again for sharing the show with your friends and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.